It is so great to be here this morning and have an opportunity to stand before you. And again, in just a minute, we're going to come and partake of the table. Um, obviously, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a little break from our thread series. And uh, what we want to do is we want to talk about where a lot of churches are talking about this this morning. Is they're talking about the persecuted church. You know and I know that persecution for Christianity, for those who believe in Jesus, has been going on for years Jesus even predicted that. If they hate, if, if they, they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. He sort of telegraphed that to us, that persecution is going to happen. And so today, before we get an opportunity to come to the table, I want us to really just pause and remember that there are people in the world today, in the United States, all over where their freedom to worship Jesus, to stand up for Jesus is being attacked violently, and even their lives are at stake. And so I'd love to be able to go in there. I want to introduce you to, to Runkin. Runkin is a maidservant in the mayor of Bruges' house. And here's what took place. Philip II basically said, I do not want anyone to read the Bible in their own language. I want you to go house to house. I want you to find people that are reading the Bible, and they will be sentenced to death. They will be tortured, they might be burned, they might be decapitated, they might be hung. And so the, 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 the people went to the mayor's house to take a look because they had gotten word that there was a copy of the scriptures there. And they went and they ransacked the house of the mayor and they found one, they found a copy of the Bible and they said, we found one. And the police went and asked one by one to the mayor, to his wife, to his kids, who is reading this Bible? And one by one, the mayor said, it's not mine. His wife said, it's not mine. The kids said, it's not mine. And out from the background, this is in 1500, a little maidservant comes up. Her name is Runkin. She comes up and says, it is mine and it is more precious to me than any of my possessions. The mayor who is her boss says, oh, no, 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 she, she's not reading the Bible. She's not, she's not reading it. She has it, but she doesn't read it, knowing that her life could be at stake. And she says, I will not be defended by a lie. I stand here and I read it and I love it. And at that time, they, they sentenced her to death by suffocation. They went to the city and they cleared out a hole in the city wall, took the bricks off, took her, put her in, bound her hands, and one by one they gave her a chance to renounce her faith in Jesus. They would put a brick up, do you renounce her faith? She said no. They bricked it all the way from her feet, all the way up. There was one brick left. The the actual captor says, if you do not if you do not say that you don't believe in Jesus, if you denounce Jesus right now, then we will let you live. We'll let you live. All you have to do is say, I don't believe. And if you don't say, I don't believe, then we're gonna put this brick, one last brick, and you will suffocate and you will die. And here's what she said. On the day of her execution, as she stood by the wall, an official tried to get her to change her mind, saying, you're so young and beautiful to die. Runkin replied, my savior died for me. I will also die for him. As the bricks were laid higher and higher, and she was warned again, you will suffocate and die in here. She said, I will be with Jesus. Finally, the wall was finished, except for one brick 
that would cover her face. For the one last time, the official tried to persuade her. Repent, just say the word and you will go free. But Runkin refused, saying instead, O Lord, forgive my murderers. The brick was put in place. Many years later, her bones were removed from the wall and buried in the cemetery of Bruges. And here's what we get to do this morning. We get to get here this morning and we get to remember that there is great persecution that's happening all over the world. We're going to pause in just a minute. We're going to pray for the persecuted church, for those people that are standing up for Jesus and their lives are being threatened. I look, we look at the scriptures and we see Stephen in the scriptures. He's one of the first martyrs. See, this has been happening for a long time. The story I just read was in 1500. Stephen was way back around 50 AD. And so we can take a look at Stephen who was, who was stoned to death because he believed in Jesus. And then we also have, we have Peter. And Peter was a proclaimer of Jesus. And he was sentenced to die by going to the cross. Except Peter says, I'm not worthy to go to the cross and be crucified the same way my Jesus was. I will be crucified upside down. And then there's Pastor Jay. I'll never forget his name. Some of you might have heard me say this before. I went to, I went to China in 2005. We worked with some missionaries that were over there. And while we were there, we met Pastor Jay, who works in the underground church. And he came in on crutches. And we're like, Pastor Jay, what happened to you? He said, the Eastern Lightning found out what I was doing. They kidnapped me. They beat me. They put me in a two-story room. I heard through the room. He's got a big smile on his face the whole time. He's... I heard through the room that they were going to kill me. So I said, I'm going to take my chances and I'm going to jump from the second story. I jumped out the window of the second story and I broke my leg. He said, and smiling, he said, it was a compound fracture. Wow. And at the time I was on the way over to China, was talking to one of my friends with me of how how upset I was that I had to pay $3 a gallon for gasoline because I have a Tahoe. That's perspective, right folks? That's perspective. Here is a man who's saying, I'm willing to die. He was a geologist. He had a great job. And what he was doing was going underground at night to teach other pastors about this Jesus that we see throughout the entire Bible. And it is the one that we proclaim, the one that we gather to worship freely every single day. And I just want us to sort of pause. I mean, you can take a look at people in the United States. There's Cassie Bernal from Columbine, uh, from Columbine School, where in Littleton, Colorado, where do you believe in God? Yes, and she, her life was taken. Rachel Scott in the same school, same question, same result. And then there's some folks in Roseburg, Oregon, or even the folks in Charleston, South Carolina. There are people that are being persecuted for their faith. Listen, globally, not just way over there, right here in the United States of America. And what we want to do this morning is before we come to the table and celebrate and worship Jesus by what he did for us, we want to, we want to just talk about how do we respond to that persecution? What are lessons that we can learn from that type of persecution? The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission says this, Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. 180 Christians are killed each month for their faith. 
In addition, in more than 60 countries, Christians face persecution from the government alone. One of the worst countries for persecution is North Korea. And 41 out of 50 of the worst nations for persecution, Christians are being, are being persecuted by Islamic extremists. And ironic is that Christians face persecution even in countries with a large Christian population. And so again, here it is. It's not a geography statement when Jesus says, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they hate me, they will hate you. We should not be surprised, but at the same time, we should not be apathetic to our freedom and get so used to the freedom that we have that we forget and pause and pray and lift them up and be reminded, how would I respond if I was persecuted like the ones that were mentioned? How would I respond? I I look at all these people that are willing to give their life. I look at all of them and I'm reading all these stories in the book called Jesus Freak and I'm looking at Voice of the Martyrs and I'm looking at videos this week and I'm going, how would I respond? And then the question came to me, Matt, do you want to be persecuted? And I was like, uh, no. And at the same time, I looked at the apathy within my own life in some areas and I went, yes. Because I know that that persecution can drive me closer and closer to King Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's what I want. And that's what I know that you want. Colossians 1.28 says that we are to present everyone mature in Jesus. And God, whatever you so choose to use to get me to be closer and closer to you and more in love with you, then God, bring it. Bring it. I think we can learn great lessons from the early church in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 and 29. And that's where we'll start. So if you go ahead and take a look at those verses right there, that'd be great. Um, Turn to those. We'll have some verses on the screen. The context and the background of what's going on right now is is really simple. The early church has exploded. I mean, Jesus came and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts chapter one, verse eight. And the gospel was going forth and people were proclaiming. Many people were getting right with Jesus. They were repenting and believing in him. And the number, the numerical number was was huge, over 5,000 people. And so Peter and John were out there and they were teaching people about Christ. They came upon a man who was lame from the time that he was 40. He was lame and he was begging. They walked up to him, they prayed over him in Jesus' name and he was healed. And that's a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, the Sadducees didn't like that. The priests and the temple leader didn't like that. And so they arrested Peter and John, put them in jail. They told them, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And they consulted and tried and thought about it and said, okay, here's your punishment. Stop talking about Jesus. And they were released. And so they were released and they went back to the early church gathering of over 5,000 people. And they started talking and that's where we're going to pick up our story. It says in verse 24, as they were gathered together of of chapter four, verse 24, it says this. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign God, Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So if we take a look at the pronouns in the verse, we can see that they're plural. We can see there's great unity because persecution, a lesson that we learn from persecution is that God uses persecution to unite believers. Let me say it this way. God uses persecution to unite true believers. Because when you go through persecution and suffering, you really find out who's in and who's not. You really find out what you're made of and what you really believe. 
And, and if you take a look in the text, they call out on a sovereign God, but the issue is, is they were coming together. I think sometimes when we see persecution, we see really who, who is going to tap out, who, who really is in this thing, who really, truly believes. And so I was sitting here and I was thinking like, how can you share that with the people of how, how do they, how can you share that and, and show them exactly what it means to be refined so that you don't give up? Persecution can, can come to us so that it can show us how not to give up. And, and, and in my, my, my mind, simple mind, I thought of Hulk Hogan. I love Hulk Hogan. He was my favorite wrestler of all time. As a matter of fact, after the first service, somebody came up to me and said, look what my grandson, two years old, was for Halloween and showed me a picture and it was himself, Hulkamania baby. It was a picture of Hulk. I tried to get it up on the screen, but we didn't work that out. But here's what happened. Hulk was always getting beat up. Hulk was getting really, really his lunch given to him. I mean, he was beaten up all the time. And here's what Hulk would do. He would always see, Hulk, are you going to give up? Hulk, are you going to give in? What are you going to do? And it was always the same. By the way, I just want to let you know something. Wrestling is not real. Okay? I have, I had to come, come clean with that, but I, I, it's not real. And so Hulk Amania is always in the ring and he's getting beat up and he's getting abused and his his life to me at that time was at stake and, and all of a sudden he would always get it, he would get into like they would put him in like the sleeper hold or the, the rear naked choke hold or, or or whatever the case was and they would come up, he would be like this, and they would come up and they'd hold his hand up and what would it do? It'd fall down. They'd come back in a second time and it would fall down. And then all of a sudden they'd come up, his eyes, he's sweating, he's slobbering, everything like this. It's like Hulk is, he's in trouble. He's going to give up. He's going to tap out. And then all of a sudden the hand goes up and he does this. And I'm like, the Hulk is coming back. He comes up, he gets alive. He comes back, he doesn't tap out, he doesn't give up. Now listen, you'll never forget this point right now because you have Hulk to help you think about this. But here's the deal. Here's the deal what I want you to see. What happens and how God uses the beauty of persecution is he uses uses it to refine our faith, not cause us to tap out, give up, walk away. He uses it to refine us. He uses us to gather us together. He uses it to get us closer to him. And for that reason and that reason alone, I say, bring it. Bring it. Whatever God you will use in my life to get me closer to you, I open up my soul, I open up my heart, I open up my eyes. Just give it so that I might be closer and closer to you. They they are united, true believers. That's what persecution is. Persecution always says this. It also causes us to pray. It, it sends us together to pray. I love what they did. It says, and when they heard, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign God, Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen to me, folks. It wasn't the last option. It it wasn't the second option. It was their first option. Here they are, put in jail, told, don't talk about Jesus. They get out. They go to the big church. They gather together. And what do they do? They pray. And they pray to a sovereign God. Let prayer be your first option when the trials that you're going through. Maybe you're going through a job situation right now and you can't stand it. Let prayer be your first option. Maybe it's time we stop talking about the situation and talk to him about that issue. 
Prayer was their first option. Another thing that prayer uh, persecution helps us or we learn from is that prayer, persecution centers us on God and his mission. Persecution centers us on God and his mission. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness. So in verse 24, what do they say? They say, Sovereign God, Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I love the way they started their prayer. I love what persecution did in their lives. It caused them to respond and to plead with a holy God because in Matthew chapter six, that's exactly the way they were taught to pray when Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. They were praying as if, as the way that they were taught to pray. And so when persecution comes to us and what do we learn from them? We learn, hey, here's what we want to do. We want to go to the one who taught us how to pray. God, I'm not asking you to move this away from me. I'm asking you, a sovereign creator God, to let me use this for your good and your glory. And they didn't start with a complaint. I love the request. The request was in in verse 29, it says, and now Lord, look upon their threats. He just said, hey, I just want to make sure you see what they're doing. He didn't ask to take the threats away. He said, look upon their threats. And when you see their threats, here's what I want you to do. I'm asking you, God, to give us boldness, not to be quiet, not to give up, not to tap out, but to press on, to be, to to go forward. I, I, I love that he's asking for them to be bold in their faith. I've heard a lot of Um, and listened to a lot of testimonies this past week, last week, and this week as I was getting ready. I've heard all kinds of testimonies about people who were persecuted for their faith. And I was sort of just taking a a little mark of, of like what was common as they were being persecuted and where their focus was. What were they thinking about? Because none of them, you, you read their stories because they didn't give in, they didn't walk away. And I'm going, why, why didn't they give up? And why didn't they give in? And I think because they remembered the promise that Jesus had given them that's recorded in Matthew chapter five, verses 10 and 12. And I want you to turn there. I think what was echoing in the apostles' mind was this declaration in this sermon that Jesus had preached so eloquently that's recorded in Matthew chapter five, 10 through 12. Take a look at that. Word starts out, the Bible starts out in this. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the key, I believe. I believe the common thread of the stories that I've heard and the stories that I've read and the people that I've talked to personally, that it is incredibly beautiful how their hearts were captivated on the future of spending eternity with Jesus in that place called heaven that we all cannot wait to go and see. And I think their hearts were captivated on that, that allowed them to endure this persecution, to realize that they were blessed because, hey, it wasn't about the stuff that I get here or the stuff that I do here. It's there is a great reward and I can persevere and I can hang in and I don't have to tap out because I know that there's a God in heaven who said, blessed are you who are persecuted goes on to say this, blessed are you 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Okay, now if I'm honestly thinking that of that word and that phrase, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad that my life is in danger. Rejoice and, re- and, and be glad that I could be killed for my faith. Why could they rejoice and be glad? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus just goes on to say, hey, what I want you to know right now is that they persecuted people a long time ago. They're going to persecute you. As we said in the beginning, they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And it's amazing the common thread of heaven, of being with Jesus forever, being completely away from sin, away from sickness, away from death, where there, is no t- there are no tears. It's amazing for them to just be captivated by this, this, this reward of heaven, this place that has been prepared for us to spend eternity with King Jesus. They weren't disappointed. It was almost as if they could see it. It was next to them. It wasn't just a dream. They could see it. They could visualize it. I know that they weren't disappointed. I know a couple of, a couple of years ago, maybe some of you have heard me account this story, but a couple of years ago, we went to, um, it was Dana's grandfather had passed away. And so Dana's granddad had passed away. And on the way there, we're teaching our four kids. Jake was four at the time saying, listen, we want to let you know that, that, that granddad, when he was 61 years old, he repented of his sins and he placed his faith in Jesus. He said yes to Jesus. And so we want you guys to know that yes, he passed away, but he's with Jesus. And we said that over and over and over a time, all the way to the funeral home. <laughs> and then there was a parenting fail, Okay. We got into the funeral home and guess what? I mean, don't disrespect about this guys, but granddad was there. He was in the casket and we got in there and I started looking around and the older kids, they understood and Jake just sit there and he's looking around and I could see, okay, what is going on? And he goes, I I just got a, I just got a question. Is this heaven? Is this heaven? And the look on his face was utter disappointment. <laughs> it was like, we're in an old funeral home. It didn't smell great. It had cinder blocks. It looked like it was about 85 years old. And we're sitting here and you just told me that granddad is in heaven and you bring me here and granddad's there and we're going like this and I'm going, Jake is going, I'm, I'm not very happy right now. <laughs> here's, here's what I want you to see. It is amazing that when God uses the persecution of his people, how he gives them a picture of what's to come. He gives them something to hold on to that is not going to disappoint, that is not going to let down, and he's saying it, hold on, hold on. And and what he does for us is he says, hey, what I want you to do, I want you to take a pause and remember that there are people all over the world that are being persecuted, that are being violently killed because of their relationship with me. And I feel like sometimes we can get really apathetic about that idea. And if you were to sit there and you were to ask them, well, well, well tell me something. What, what could we do? What could we do to help them understand um, 
that, were, that, that we have them in their minds and they would say, the common thread would be that you pray for them, that you pray for them. Every missionary that I've ever talked to that is all over the world says, hey man, we just want you to pray for us. I love getting Dima and Maria from Kazakhstan. I love getting their prayer update. I love hearing Wes and Michelle White over in Spain. I love getting their updates and praying with them and for them. I love praying for Pastor Jay, who I met over 10 years ago, and I don't even know where he is. He's either over there on the underground church talking about Jesus, or he's in heaven enjoying enjoying Christ face to face. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. This is an account of his life. It said, consider the uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he left his prison room on the way to the gallows because he was being uh, sentenced to die by hanging for his faith in 1945. He said to Payne Best, a doctor in the camp, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. At the place of execution, he said He again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, this is Payne Best speaking, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. And so I would ask you the question, do you want to be persecuted? Well, persecution can be used by God to unite us as believers, to really help you understand what do you believe. It can be used to bring us together in prayer like we've never prayed before in our lives. It can also center us on God and his mission so that we would not stop speaking the name of Jesus boldly with our lives, but yes, our words. And as I said before, if you ask anyone, they would say, just pray for us. Pray, pray that we would understand the grace, the beauty, and the magnitude of Jesus. And so what I'd love for us to do before we come to the tables, I'd love for us to be able to to pray and pray for those that are around the world that are suffering for Jesus.